1: your free Happy Monday. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy in talk radio of four, and by you, the people. Hope everyone had a wonderful and safe weekend. As we get closer to the holidays, we're glad that you are able to join us. We know a lot of people busy with work, shopping and things like that, but it's essential that we talk about things that matter to our nation. We have an election coming up, and we need to be educated and informed on the issues that will affect us, folks, and uh, we need to know and be more informed, not less informed, uh, before we head uh, to the polls less than a year from now. Joining us in this hour, not one, but two great guests, Roxanne Brown and Holly Hart. Roxanne is the Assistant Legislative Director of the United Steelworkers, the U.S. She serves as one of four lobbyists in the USW's legislative office in our nation's capital. Since 1999, she's had the privilege of working for the 850,000 women and men who comprise the USW here in the United States and our neighbor to the North Canada. Holly Hart is assistant to the international president and legislative director for the USW, the first woman to serve as chief lobbyist for the USW. Way to go, girl. Prior to becoming director of the legislative department in December of 2006, she served as its assistant assistant director and as its legislative representative, Uh, two great women who work for a great guy that we love, President Leo Gerard, Roxanne Brown and Holly Hart. More than a pleasure to have you on the program today. Good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon, Leslie.
1: Hi, Leslie. So great to hear from you again. Ah, good to have you back again (laughs) as well. Uh, You know, I had to laugh this morning. Um, I, uh, you know, my producers and I have to produce the show. We have a little meeting. And I said, I got to get inside. I got to get some coffee. I'm freezing. And uh, Mark Romaldi, my executive producer, said, well, what's the temperature there? And I'm in Los Angeles. And at that moment, checking Weather Channel on my phone, it was 47 degrees. (laughs) Mark had a good laugh. He's in Buffalo, New York, where I lived years ago in the early 90s. He goes, what do you think it is here in Buffalo? So I said, I don't know, 50? He said 62. And we had a good chuckle, and I tweeted this morning, and there's no climate change, right? <laughs> um, I think all we have to do is just look at how crazy the weather patterns are here and throughout the world. And uh, that's, uh, that's pretty much uh, obvious. Uh, let's talk about uh, two things that are very important, not only uh, coming up in elections and when we look at who we elect on a state level and on a federal level, but really how it affects us um, our pocketbooks, our jobs, our economy, and certainly our lives and our livelihood. And these two issues are trade and climate change. Um, the USW and the AFL-CIO, for which President Gerard a vice president, busy enough guy, right, uh, have joined the International Trade Union Confederation, the ITUC, at the 2015 UN Climate Change Conference that took place earlier this month. And afterward, it, you raised strenuous objections uh, to as you should, the proposed TPP, because it damages a lot of things. Um, let's start. Um, Roxanne, we'll start with you. First of all, even if it just damaged one aspect of the numerous areas it damages, one umbrella of damage is the environment, and another are American workers. Could you speak to us more specifically about those two areas that would cause the TPP would cause great damage to the environment and the American worker? Sure.
0: And I think it's just really appropriate, actually, that you led with the weather. And it's actually 70 degrees here in Washington, D.C., and it was 75 degrees in Washington, D.C., all weekend. And the irony of all of this is that, as you mentioned, Leslie, the United Nations had their conference of parties um, this month to craft a new global climate agreement to actually get at what's been happening around the world over the last, really, 20 years in terms of you know, an increase in temperature and extreme weather events and activities that have have really served to just, um, you know, to to impact greatly some of our coastal communities. And so, you know, we're we're in a very strange time right now when it comes to our climate. And our policies really do need to work to help mitigate the effects of climate change that we're experiencing. And not just our climate policies, but as you mentioned, our trade policy should focus on that too. And You know, one of the the biggest challenges, I think, with the TPP is the fact that it includes this investor state dispute settlement, which would allow uh, multinational corporations and investors to to challenge the actions that foreign governments may take around environmental policies, like we have in the United States with the Clean Power Plan. if they think that those rules or laws or regulations cut into their profits. So basically, you know, any corporation that exists outside the United States, if they are uh, conducting business through this agreement with the United States and they think that, you know, our environmental policy makes them less profitable, they can challenge that. That's not good policy helping to get us to a place where we're actually mitigating the effects of climate change and and making our country safer for our future, and making really the world safer for the future.
1: Um, I also, uh, you know, and it's so funny. I just had to look. It's fifty-six degrees here in Los Angeles today. Okay, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, when people on the East Coast this time of year are normally complaining to me because I'm from the Northeast. You know, what You know, what, what's the weather there? You know, people always do this, um, and uh, just uh, just had to share that. Yeah. Well, um, uh, we. Both the USW and the AFL-CIO are members of the uh, ITUC. This is a federation of unions worldwide. Can you tell us, Holly, a little bit about the ITUC, the International Trade Union Confederation, so folks who aren't familiar with it uh, know what it is and why it's important that the USW and AFL-CIO are members of this?
2: Well, it's very important, Leslie, because as, as,
1: you know, corporations have become more and more global
2: in their scope, so too must working people become global. And the International Trade Union Confederation is a great forum for organized labor to work collectively on a range of issues that affect working people, you know, such as climate evidenced by their participation at the uh, conference of parties on climate change, and also in other forums such as um, the uh, delegates to, you know, various other social issues that, that affect working people. The um, the ITUC has been uh, you know a, a good forum for that, but it's also been important that the steelworkers have forged even greater alliances across uh, um, uh, the oceans to you know with other other labor unions around the around the world that have yielded a lot of pressure that we've been able to bring on uh, various corporations when we find ourselves in labor disputes with uh, global global uh, corporations that have, you know, perhaps are having trouble negotiating agreements with uh, um workers here in the United States were able to use, you know, to talk with our union brothers and sisters across across the oceans and have them help us out in these campaigns.
1: Right. Uh, I There are a lot of um, organizations that the USW has uh, paired with and worked with, uh, one of which we've had on the program numerous times throughout the years, and that's the Blue-Green uh, Alliance. Uh, talk to me if you could. Uh, let's go back to Roxanne. We'll trade-off, ladies, so you both get equal time. Um, mm-hmm. How the United Steelworkers, how your union has worked to improve the climate, really long before climate change was a, a buzz phrase, that's since 1970, and how the USW is a founding member of the BGA, um, uh, the Blue-Green Alliance of Unions and Environmental Groups. Yeah, that's, that's
0: exactly right, Leslie. We actually held, our union held the first conference on uh, clean air back in 1968, so this even predated the, uh, the, the Clean Air Act of 1970, and then uh, our legislative department at that time actually played a really key role in the shaping of the Clean Air Act of 1970, and then also the update in 1990. Um, you know, we crafted our first ever environmental policy on clean air and climate change and recognized that climate change was Um, a problem for not just the United States but the world back in 1990 in a document that we um, called Securing Our Children's World. And so, you know, we formed the Blue Green Alliance uh, back in, in 2006, and as you said, it was a partnership between uh, our union and the Sierra Club, the nation's largest grassroots environmental organization at that point. And we've grown considerably since then to um, roughly 15 million um, you know, unions and environmental organizations working together around not just environmental policy and, and, and policies that govern also. Um, toxics and chemicals, but also trade policy because we feel like all of these things are inextricably linked because the overarching goal of this alliance um, and the goal of our union, actually, when when we formed this alliance was for economic and environmental sustainability for the long term, and the only way that you can get there is with working with, you know, the broad progressive community, and I think we've been able to do that successfully, but um, obviously, we have a lot, lot more work to do. <laughs> uh,
1: no question. Um, negotiators met in Paris, as we know. Holly, I'll to, you know, uh, throw this to you. And the, talk to me and, and all of us listening, obviously, about the goal of the USW um, at the Paris talks. Um, what you were hoping for, and, and really, how much did you get on your checklist?
2: I'm going to let Roxanne jump in on this, but bottom line, what we have been majorly, mostly concerned with is the transition that will, uh, you know, the the effects that will uh, that we, we need the policies that we need to put in place to deal with the industries and the workers that are going and the communities that are going to be affected by reductions in our greenhouse gas emissions and as you know the steelworkers represent workers in just about every energy intensive industry that we have and You know, our workers, as we reduce our greenhouse gas emissions, you know, there's going to be plant closures. How are we going to deal with that? And not just for steel workers in the United States, but for most of the developing countries. And, Rox, I think maybe you can elaborate on some of that.
0: Yeah, no. I think Holly answered that perfectly. It's um, it as as she said, uh, the focus of the entire global labor community. So, Leslie, you mentioned the ITUC. The entire global labor community over the last nine years during these climate talks has been focused on um, getting strong language included in the uh, agreement around just transition. Um, and again that means different things for different countries. As Holly said, for our union, we have members employed in energy-intensive trade-exposed industries. We think those industries all have a place in the clean energy economy, uh, certainly uh, especially in our basic industries like steel and glass and cement where, um, you know, our industries here are very, very, um, they operate very efficiently, very cleanly, uh, and, you know, there are huge opportunities for those components to be included in our clean energy technologies. So for us, it's transitioning these into the clean clean energy economy that means those facilities will still exist but they will have to invest more into technologies to operate even more efficiently um, but then at the same time looking here in the United States still you know you um, Uh, workers who are employed at a power plant, for example, a coal-fired power plant, for example, um, you know, could potentially lose their jobs, um, especially now as we're facing the clean uh, power plan, which seeks to um, reduce emissions from power plants. What does that mean, then, for the workers who are uh, employed at those coal power plants who make roughly $75,000 a year and live in communities that greatly depend on these power plants for for jobs and a tax base where do they then go for employment so you know what does a just transition look like for them and it's our nation's responsibility and you know our, us as labor our responsibility to help to help define that and so that is what the global labor community focused on at these talks because just transitioning in the United States means, means you know, a different thing for just transition for workers in the EU and in, in Africa, et cetera. So um, we were successful in getting some strong language included in the preamble of the agreement. It's not um, completely where we wanted it to be, but... At the end of the day, workers know that as all of these nations met together to craft this agreement, workers were thought of and included in the agreement. And that was a success on the part of the global labor community.
1: Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, ladies, and we'll be back to you here on the only true democracy in talk radio. We are talking about trade. We are talking about climate change. And we're talking about the Paris uh, negotiations and talks and what happened, what happened with regard to China. Uh, what happens regarding American industrial workers and the situation in China. And let's talk about some of the frustrations that are highlighted by what's going on overseas. We're going to talk more about the TPP and why this is bad. We've got a lot to chat about. You can join us pick up the phone if you have a comment or a question. 8886 leslie 888 7543 is the number. We'll be back with Roxanne Brown and Holly Hart, both of the United Steelworkers. Follow them on Twitter at Blogger. Also, follow at Steelworkers. The website for the USW is usw.org. Quick break and back to you and our guests right after this. Don't go away. Yes, the Assistant Legislative Director of the USW, Roxanne Brown, and Assistant to the International President and Legislative Director for the USW, Holly Hart. Ladies, thank you for holding, and uh, welcome back. Um, whichever one of you wants to answer this, how's this? I'll just throw it out there for you. Um, we watched, I think everybody saw on the news, uh, photos of Beijing, which made Los Angeles back in the days with smog look like a, a, a walk in the park. They raised yeah. their pollution alert in Beijing, first to orange and then red, and they closed down much of the city. The, the, the smog was literally life-threatening as it was settling in. Um, Does that situation in China further highlight the frustration for American industrial workers, ladies?
2: Well, I think we probably could both jump in on this, Leslie, but... uh I did want to talk about this in the context of some other talks that were going on at the same time as the uh, climate talks in Paris, and that was at the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development. They have a specific committee devoted to steel. And in that steel committee, um, over the past couple years, they've been talking about and dealing with Trying to deal with and come to terms with how the rest of the world deals with the problem of what we call global overcapacity, wherein China is sort of the 800 pound gorilla in the room. Unfortunately, um, China, China is not a member of the OECD, but they have been invited guests over the years, and uh, unfortunately, their representatives were not able to attend this meeting, but did attend the climate talks. Um, while Beijing was cloaked under a week-long fog of pollution, but uh, what you see in the steel industry is kind of indicative of what what we're going, you know, what we're seeing all around the world. But in China. Um, Their production totally dwarfs that of any other country in the world.
1: Hold that thought, ladies. That's our shortest segment. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about why and what that mass production does to the environment, to the workers, and how it hurts us over here in America. We'll be back. Sam Brown, Assistant Legislative Director of the United Steelworkers, and also Holly Hart, Assistant to the International President and Legislative Director for the USW. Follow President Gerard at USW uh, Blogger, and uh, also be sure to follow the... USW, the Steelworkers. At Steelworkers, the website is usw.org. Uh, we are talking about two very important issues here, and that's TPP and climate change. Before the break, we were talking specifically um, about not only the uh, talks in Paris, but about the pollution in uh, China. Uh, who left off last uh, with regard to China, its pollution, and its overproduction uh, there? Uh, Roxanne, Holly? Which? That was of you? Holly. Okay. I think
2: I was, I was the one talking. <laughs>
1: Oh, okay. (laughs) I can't tell you apart sometimes. Um, Let's let's talk about um, the not just when this is just like a powder keg in China because you have a significant cause of of the pollution in Beijing is overcapacity and they also have overproduction. And this is by major Chinese uh, industries that includes steel, aluminum, tires and paper. But the, the factories continue to pollute at rates that are forbidden here in the United States. Correct, lady? So uh, could one or both of you speak to that, um, that contribution to the pollution, not only what it does um, uh, to the, uh, the the worker, uh, the Chinese worker, but how, because some people might say, well, how does that affect us here in the United States?
0: You know, what's really interesting about that, Leslie, and this is Roxanne, is that um, uh Very recently, the United States and China entered into a bilateral climate agreement. And in that agreement, um, China pledged to cap its greenhouse gas emissions, so its emissions of carbon dioxide and other uh, dangerous emissions, um, by 2030. So, uh, there was much lauding of this agreement. Everyone thought it was great that China was actually finally uh, committing to doing something uh, on climate change and doing it, you know, with, UNES- with the U.S., no less. Uh, our union uh, was far less optimistic and remains far less optimistic. And it, it really uh, rests with what Holly was talking about before the break, which is, you know, China. Our experience with China is that they are a bad actor that does not follow rules. Oh, I like
1: that. I don't like that they do that. I like that that way of describing them.
0: I mean, that that's what they are. And, you know, Holly described the rampant overcapacity that's happening right now. And as you said, it's led to, you know an egregious amount of pollution happening in China. Um, Last week in Paris, I sat uh, through a side event where um, a gentleman was talking about two provinces in China that over a three-year period, they have seen an increase in their uh, emissions of carbon dioxide of 12 percent and 21 percent, respectively. Just in three years, an increase of twelve percent and twenty one percent respectively in two provinces and what's happening in both those provinces is ramped up manufacturing activity so again to holly's point about overcapacity you know they are that twenty thirty date is looming out there for them to capture greenhouse emissions so between now and then they're trying to do as much as they possibly can in the way of manufacturing um, which is then having a terrible uh... Uh, impact on our members here, our workers here, and all of the industries that you just mentioned, Leslie. I mean, since the beginning of the year, we've had over 10,000 job losses in our steel sector here domestically,
1: and it goes to the overcapacity issue that Holly spoke about. So, there were. Now, up now, the now let me ask you, if you don't mind mm-hmm. me uh, jumping in. Yeah, when China continues to produce at this rate, um, first of all, the world market is saturated. So, what That's this correct. does is it keeps their workers employed. And what that means for American workers is. They lose their jobs because the industries are unable to compete when you have unfairly subsidized state-owned enterprises in China, and we know the goods are unfairly uh, priced because of the Chinese uh, manipulation of its currency. Uh, Not, not, not to mention the crap they're making. You buy a T-shirt from there, it falls apart after one wash. (laughs) But um, so, so, so let's talk. Let's talk about that saturation. I mean, you think about that. I mean. this is just unconscionable that this happens and that it's allowed to happen. This is an entire manipulation of the system. This hurts not just American workers. This hurts Chinese workers as well, obviously.
2: No, it it totally does, Leslie, and you raise an important point. I mean, it, this this not only affects Chinese workers, it affects their children, it affects their families, it affects their communities. And, um, what's happening is that the, the you know, the overproduction in China. Unfortunately, China's uh, economic juggernaut has slowed down just like many other world economies, and they are not consuming as much of the products that they were producing. Now, granted, they have always been a net exporter of these products. However, well not always, but recently they have been. But uh what's happening is even more is now being exported to open markets like the United States and and other countries. The EU is also suffering, as as is Turkey. Other countries all around the globe are getting uh, dumped and subsidized Chinese steel pouring into their markets, which is in turn basically usurping the jobs and the industries in the countries that are operating under market-driven forces um... you know for example i mean just here in the united states alone unfortunately despite the fact that there's actually a little bit of a bump in demand for steel products in this country you would not know it um, from the steel workers and from the steel industry's perspective our production right now is totally flat And every little bit of extra demand that is in the market is being fulfilled by imports. And you have to think about not only the fact that those imports carry with it a huge cost in the amount of carbon that was emitted to uh, produce them, but you have to look at the cost as well of the carbon that's emitted on its way here when they ship it. And the carbon, um, and in addition to all the carbon that is contained in those products, what it means to an industry and the workers in those industries where, um, for example, the U.S. steel industry is one of the most efficient and productive in the world. And, you know, unfortunately, it's our capacity that's shutting down. We have, uh, I think it's like twelve thousand direct jobs in the steel industry right now are, are have been lost due to just the increase in imports in the last two years. And right now, imports are capturing over capturing thirty percent of the U.S. market in steel products, which is an absolute record high ever. Um, this is not only just happening in steel. It's happening in other industries. The steel industry is a great example because they seem to be the bellwether for what's ha- going to happen in other sectors of the economy. Um, the, I know our time is probably running short, and one thing I did want to do was tie this to the TPP. People that are listening are probably thinking, what
1: she talking I, I want, about? And I, How- you to do, I want you to do that, but because of everything you've just said about – When people hear everything that's going on behind the scenes in China, I just want to point something out because holidays are coming up very shortly. Mm -hmm. People are buying things right now. We have the power as consumers to say we are not going to contribute to a country and a market where the goods are made by excessively polluting Chinese industries hurting the American worker, hurting Chinese workers, and certainly hurting the environment. Yeah. So, I mean, if you know, people have a conscience, look at the label. If it says made in China, put it down, buy something else. Mm-hmm. I just and that want-
2: applies whether you're an environmentalist, whether you care about human and labor rights, or whether you care about the quality of your products.
1: Oh, ab- ab- absolutely. Let's talk about TPP. And, um, y- you know... Burn the TPP is something we tweeted today. I I think this is a a lot of people are still scratching their heads how our president hasn't woken up to the fact that this is not a good deal. It's a good deal for somebody, not just not for America, not for the American worker. Um, So 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 let's talk about this, because, you know, people in this country work and work harder. Uh, We produce more. And right now, corporations are cutting the pay of these workers, cutting the benefits of these workers, uh, sending their jobs overseas, uh, you know, closing up factories and sending them overseas. And you know, people's jobs, what supports their life and their livelihood, um, are are being killed. Their opportunities for a future and and what they had worked hard so hard for for the future are being crushed. So let's let's talk about TPP and how that actually furthers this demise. Well. I mean TPP. I mean, in a
2: nutshell, it's a bad deal for working people, and especially for the manufacturing sector in this country. And all you have to do is look at the um, piece that the Wall Street Journal did, and, and I'm sure Leslie, you recognize that the Wall Street Journal is not exactly the most pro—you um, know—they're—they're—they're they're, they're very pro-free trade. So. For them to actually put in print that the manufacturing sector was really going to be uh, hit hard by the TPP, I thought was relatively telling. So uh, it, it, that, number one, is one of the key problems. And the reason is that there are three critical issues for manufacturing in the, tra- in the TPP, currency, which you mentioned, and there are no provisions in the TPP that can deal with currency manipulation in any substantive manner that will have any effect beyond having talks about it. the other thing is what they call the rules of origin, which is the domestic content provisions of items that are manufactured in what will be TPP countries. The U.S., the United States, the United not the United Steelworkers, but the United States is going to be a TPP country. Yet, if an auto is or auto parts are you are made in um, any one of those TPP countries, only 45 percent of it by value has to, to originate in any one of the countries that are in the tpp and that means that there's a vast majority of the auto that can be made elsewhere there's other things like um auto bodies and glass like uh auto glass that are in a whole different category and they're counted differently and they'll really suffer so you know for worker To to be a representative of the workers that do those things, the TPP is going to be devastating for our sectors. Then the other thing is what you raised earlier, state-owned enterprises. The fact that uh, the TPP really doesn't get at the majority of the problems with state-owned enterprises, it uh, regulates – State-owned enterprises at the federal level, or, and I won't even say it regulates them, but it addresses them in a very minor fashion. However, the majority of all the state-owned enterprises in China are at the sub-federal level, so it would be like like in our states versus um, you know by the federal government. So you know, again, it's going to you know be a failure for manufacturing workers especially, and all the communities that depend upon that. I mean, people are recognizing more and more that we're all in this together. When a local factory goes down, so does the tax base diminishes. Your public services decline. Teachers lose their jobs. I mean, it, it ripples throughout
1: the entire community. But there's no question about that. And I what I don't understand, a lot of people, I think, are, are very concerned that there was, as you mentioned, nothing in TPP with regard to currency manipulation. We really can't have any kind of a trade deal unless that's addressed. Would you agree, Liz? Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a
2: serious issue. And um, what there were, um, you know, the this administration absolutely refused to put anything in the Trans-Pacific Partnership that would have um, – allowed us to treat um, currency manipulation as an actionable subsidy. So what I mean mean by that is that we could bring a trade case and perhaps put tariffs on goods that came here from a country that was a known currency manipulator, such as China or Japan, who also manipulates their currency, and Malaysia, which has also done so. So that's... You know the lack of any effective mechanism to deal with currency manipulation puts our goods at a at an immediate disadvantage because, and I'm I'm gonna get this wrong because I'm not a numbers person,
1: so I was. Just <laughs> I'm thought, not either. So. <laughs> yeah. So
2: so maybe I won't try to explain currency manipulation in any kind of number fashion, but. But bottom line, it makes our goods more expensive when we export them to a country that's manipulating its currency, and it makes their goods cheaper when they export it to us. And so, you know, it's no wonder that hardworking Americans that are, you know, flatlining in their wages are forced to buy a lot of cheap Chinese stuff, because we're, you know, that's, that's perhaps what they can unfortunately afford. And, you know, and frankly... It's the, there's so much of it. It's it's pushed out the manufacture of the goods here.
1: We're gonna ladies. We're gonna okay. take a break, and when we come back, we'll continue to talk about this. Sure. Um, but I also, uh, you know, I, I want to talk about the div- the divisionary tactic and diversionary tactic that we have with the GOP and especially Donald Trump, their number one uh, leading candidate in the polls right now. We'll be back. Excuse me, back with our guest right after this. I'm Leslie Marshall. Roxanne Brown is Assistant Legislative Director of the USW. Holly Hart, Assistant to the International President and Legislative Director for the USW. I've been talking with them. I'm going to open up those phone lines, see if you have something to ask or to comment. Join us now. They're only here for one more segment. 888 leslie 888 7543 to call. Tweet. Follow me on Twitter, at Leslie Marshall. I'll incorporate your tweets throughout the hour. And speaking of Twitter, follow them at USW Blogger. President Leo Girard's uh, Twitter page and the USW at Steelworkers. We'll be back right after this. Uh, ladies, thank you for um, holding and welcome back. Um, did you want to say anything? I think one of you started to uh, speak up right as we went to break, and I apologize if I had to jump in there.
0: Oh, no worries. That was uh, me, Leslie Roxanne. I just um, just wanted to, to basically just say, obviously, everything Holly said was just right on, and... You know, in terms of just the impacts that we've seen with our flawed trade policies over the last, you know, 20 years, I I was reading an article the other day about the middle class and how essentially now uh, the middle class is no longer America's... Uh, economic majority for the first time in 40 years, mm. and it shrunk from 61 percent to 50 percent. And, you know, it's largely because of, of everything Holly talked about with respect to our flawed trade model. And, you know, going into this process with the TPP and if this agreement is, in fact, um, you know, uh, approved by Congress, you know, I, I, I shudder to think what that number is going to be in the next Ten to fifteen years for the middle class.
1: I I want to talk about the uh, election coming up, and obviously the candidates. Um, GOP presidential candidate Donald Trump is urging Americans uh, to take their country back, and that you know everything's wrong with this country, and everything that is wrong with this country has to be blamed on someone. Uh, He wants to blame uh, and, you know, by using hate and fear, he wants to blame Muslims, Syrian refugees, Black Lives Matter activists, Latinos, uh, women, especially undocumented uh, immigrants and even more specifically uh, undocumented uh, Latinos. But he doesn't talk about something that he has very close to home, and that's corporations and corporate honchos like him who sent their jobs to mexico and china he may talk about china building a wall but he doesn't want that wall that wouldn't help him we know that's all bs and rhetoric and he and he slams china and talks negatively about china but profits from a lot of what we've talked about with regard to china uh on the backs of people here in the united states who have lost their jobs right it's
0: a great irony and you know it. It, personally, it just—it um, frightens me to be quite honest that his message has been able to to resonate so much throughout. The United States, especially, I'm I'm an immigrant actually to this country from Jamaica, and as an immigrant, it's it's very scary the, the hate speech that um, that he really espouses. But you know, but put, put to your question on the on the economics, I just all you know, we can hope is that um, Americans are looking at the facts. And paying very close attention to the policies and paying attention to what's happening um, behind closed doors. Like you said, Leslie, he's talking about, you know, how how terrible uh, China has been. And, you know, he's spoken out against the TPP, yet... Trump Enterprises has benefited greatly from from the workers in China um, and, and, you know, having uh, corporations in China. So, you know, we just hope that people are really paying attention to the facts and looking at the candidates who are speaking about the issues that are really key to working people, um, you know, Trade policies, you know, policies that govern our, our safety and our health and our our communities and getting people back to work and investing in domestic manufacturing so that we can have a strong tax base for our communities, you a- know. Abso-
1: absolutely. Ladies, yeah. we, are, we are out of time. I can't believe an hour flew by. Thank you for being with us. You, t- ah. you two rocked. I'll tell Leo how great <laughs> you are. Tell him watch out. You you know what? Watch us back. No, I'm just joking. Roxanne Brown, Assistant Legislative Director of the USW, Holly Hart, Assistant to the International President, Legislative Director of the USW, have been our guests. We'll be back.